Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. For Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is part two of our Autosport special. So if you haven't heard it yet, yesterday's BTCC special, uh, looking at the uh, round coming up this weekend at Thruxton, the first two that we've had already, and how Touring Cars, uh, British Touring Car Championship, is looking. Now, that was an hour of Touring Car Chat. Today, we're going to look at the Support Series, and the Toka Support Series, there's so much happening uh, also on a motorsport weekend, and some really brilliant series that are happening that don't get as much attention. We do cover them in Autosport magazine on autosport.com, but largely uh, they might get a little bit drowned out in the whole noise around motorsport by things like MotoGP and uh, Formula One, etc., etc. But there's so many good reasons to be following these series. So uh, I'll hand back to uh, Kevin Turner for part two, along with legendary commentator David Addison and our man who goes to all those weekends to write up the uh, uh, the results, Stephen Licorice. Over to you, Kev. And my second guest, who uh, has the job of covering for all sport, um, well, pretty much all the uh, support paddock, and that is Stephen Licorice. Right, Stephen, are you, are you ready to go on this? Yes, I think so. I think there's there's so many different sort of talking points to, uh, that we can discuss, and that, that's the great thing about the support categories to, to touring cars that there's always some brilliant stories going on they're brilliant racing and you get to see the sort of next generation of, of young stars coming through and there's always something going on even if one of the series has a sort of a quieter weekend there's plenty of excitement in one of the other ones which makes it such a sort of joy to, to report on 
Oh, I don't know. I don't know how you work out which way to look some of the time, to be quite honest. But um, oh, we're going to start with the lazy bit for me because what I've done is I've come up with some uh, storylines for all the championships except the first one. Because I'm going to throw it to you. I've just got Janetta Junior question mark question mark exclamation mark exclamation mark because uh, it's been difficult to get a storyline. You've got sort of you've got a trio of um, second year drivers that have come in and are kind of probably going to fight for the championship. You've got some interesting rookie talents. The races are always dramatic and interesting. So. Basically, tell me and the listeners, what should we be looking out for and interested in from Janetta Jr. this season? Well, yeah, as as you say, Kevin, it's been a really sort of topsy-turvy sort of start to the season. All six races so far have been thrilling races. I I know Janetta Jr. has a reputation for entertaining, chaotic races, but... um, the first six this year have all been brilliant. They've had some excellent fighting at the front and there's there's been a, a host of drivers in the mix. So we've had, as you say, three second year drivers that have been contending for wins. Josh Rowledge, who is the, the reigning winter series champion. So he comes into the season with, with that sort of success um, to giving him extra momentum moving forward. And then there's also Harry Reynolds and um, Joe Warhurst. Had okay first seasons, but were never really in the mix, but really sort of taking that step forward now for this year. And then you've also got some exciting rookies in the mix as well, like uh, Will McIntyre. And having this this sort of combination of different drivers fighting for wins means going into each race, you don't quite know who's going to be on top. You don't quite know what's going to happen. And at this point, predicting the champion is pretty much impossible because it's varying from, from race to race, uh, circuit to circuit. But it, it at the moment, it's Harry Reynolds that has slight lead, but it's very, very slim over Josh Rowledge. And, but perhaps a driver that we would have expected to be in the mix so far this year uh, would be Liam McNeely, who was the runner-up last year. Um, decided to come back to the championship again this year with the Fox Motorsport team. But one of the changes for the championship this year has been the introduction of a new qualifying format uh, whereby the drivers only have three laps to set their two qualifying, two best qualifying times that determine the, the grid for races one and two. So that means that the, the thinking behind it was to reduce the the sort of effect where the large teams would tow around as a massive pack, uh, both in, in qualifying and in testing, and that was leading to quite a few sort of incidents and near misses. Uh, so now the cars are being released. It varies uh, per circuit whether they've got a sort of gap between each car, but they're, in theory they're in championship order or a random, slightly randomised order rather than in team order. And But because there's just these three laps to set your time, any slight mistake, any sort of incident on those laps and you're instantly on the back foot. And that's exactly what's happened with, with McNeely who has sort of struggled to, to for a variety of reasons, to, to get those good laps in and has been on the back foot in the races. But just, So he's he's now well down in the championship. I think he's in seventh... Uh, seventh place at the moment and he's already about 100 points off the lead so it's going to be a, a tough ask from here but even without McNeely in the mix there's still been some some fantastic racing and I'm sure that will continue with Thruxton coming up next and, and other other sort of circuits throughout the year 
And David, do you, I mean, people often pick the Genesta Junior categories, the other one they like to go and watch because you've got a bunch of a bunch of teenagers, basically, some of whom have to say are actually surprisingly mature with the way they go race, you know, wheel to wheel, and then others that are perhaps, let's just say, they're still learning their craft. Yeah. So do you ever get an opportunity to uh, to go out and have a look at the uh, the madness? Uh, we, we do. I mean, we are, in theory, um, once a touring car race finishes, we're meant to sort of dash off and talk to touring car people and gain news. But if Genetta Juniors are on, you will find that, both Tim and I gravitate towards either a window or a screen and certainly watch the first few laps. Um, it's interesting, this this qualifying point that Stephen makes, because it, it works on two levels, doesn't it, Janetta Juniors? It's damn good entertainment for people watching at home or people trackside. But at the same time, it is also a driver training ground. And so to get people into that short, sharp, two-lap qualifying, effectively three-lap qualifying, um, it's a bit like Porsche Super Cup. You know, you've got to nail it on on the Formula One rubber that's been put down as soon as you go out onto the circuit. So even, you know, and you forget watching them. You're talking about teenagers here. They're not, in the grand scheme of things, that mature. But to get them to focus and do something like that by way of training for future categories, I think is a really good idea. Um, And so the championship, like I say, it works for being very entertaining, but it is also working in developing drivers for the future. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen a lot of drivers go through that and on their way, well, either within the Toka package or, or elsewhere. And one of those gave a very obvious storyline in the Genetta GT4 Super Cup from the Brands Hatch weekend, uh, which is the, the first event for the new G56. But James Kellett, former uh, Genetta Junior champion, won all three races. Um, I mean, was that was it more exciting than that looked, Stephen? Because he looked, looks like he's, you know, he's the guy to beat already this year. Yes, it was quite some some marker that Kellett laid down uh, at, at Brands Hatch because uh, unlike the other categories, the, the GT4 Super Cup wasn't in action at the Donington Park opener. And it's got, it's got a new car for this year, the introduction of the, the V8-powered G56. And it's quite different to the old G55. Which sounds which, awesome, by the way. Yes, the sound is is very impressive. And it's it's a, a sort of great addition to, to the... To the package, uh, and it's a very different car to the G55s that are still on the grid in a, in their sort of own class as well. And but Kellett has mastered that. He came in uh, and did the final couple of events at the end of last year and scored, a, I think it was three wins that he, he picked up in those two events. And he's really picked up from where he left off. And to to take th- all three wins in a weekend, it's not been done since 2016. And, and that says a lot for just quite how impressive that weekend was for him. Yeah, I mean, it started in qualifying. He was he only set he only set six laps. I know we're talking about Janessa Juniors not only, only getting three laps, but uh, Kellett set six laps and was on pole around the very short Brands Indy circuit by uh, over a third of a second, and that was just sort of set the tone for the weekend. But having said that, his his. Uh, final victory did come under he did have a scary moment in in that race when uh there's quite an inexplicable error from race control uh during the the, uh, after a safety car period uh whereby the the cars were released at a time when there was a a pack of slower g55s and, and back markers that had become separated from the main group behind the safety car because there was a car with a with a problem that was trying to slowly make its way back to the pits but this wasn't picked up by race control so the cars were were re- the safety car went into the pits the cars were released 
uh, across the, the sort of start-finish line. Kellett put the power down, found that these, these cars crawling along uh, in front of him, had to slow down because he knew he couldn't overtake them before he crossed the the, the start-finish line, because otherwise he'd, he'd pick up a penalty. And it was an incredibly... It was, it was a very near miss. We could have had a very serious accident in that. And it's, it's a reminder of of how... Yes, the officials have a have a difficult job in maintaining uh, operation in in sort of managing races, but this was a, a quite frankly an unforgivable error. And I know this is something that that David has also commented on in the past, whereby officials do need to be um, who monitors the officials uh, because for something this serious, yes, it it didn't um, fortunately didn't end up with a, a serious accident, but it could have been a very different story but that should take nothing away from from Kellett because that was a, a supremely impressive performance and uh, he's going to be really tough to beat but the others will just be getting up to speed over the course of the year so it, it's by no means a, a done deal either well just, just to go back to that restart I mean watching on television it did look quite quite scary actually um have you been able to speak to any of those, uh, either of you, in fact, uh, officials or, or, or stewards involved? Because it's, it is easy to criticise from afar, but on the other hand, that does seem that did seem like quite a fundamental one that could have had serious consequences. I think it's to the driver's credit they managed to organise themselves in such a way to not have an enormous pile-up. And I've seen some pretty nasty pile-ups, as I'm sure we all have, going down the start-finish straight at Brands Hatch. Um, so, yeah, have we been able to get any, any word from, from those on the ground just yet, or are we still waiting? for comment still waiting on that one but i think it's something that we we can't just ignore when something like this happens it's got to be looked into to make sure that it doesn't happen again because it 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 could have been a a very very nasty accident and entirely entirely uh avoidable um so but but that's something we'll we'll be following up at at a later point in in autosport magazine well, let's finish the Ginetta GT4 Super Cup on a positive note, which was the split. I thought the 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 split roughly half and half, isn't it? G56 to G55, which I think it's a pretty that's a pretty sensible, good way of introducing a new car. As we say, we we like this, we like the sound of it. It's pretty pretty decent uh, starting point. Uh, do we expect that proportion to change? Do we expect it to gradually the G56s replace the G55 during the year, or are we just expecting some new G56s? How, where's the sort of what's Ginetta's target for the end of the year with the new car? It's far from going to take over the championship just yet. I think it's it's going to be a sort of gradual process over the next few years where the G56 becomes the dominant car. But the G55 has still has been a tremendously popular and successful car over the years, and that's not going to suddenly change overnight. And there's some there's some good drivers in the the top sort of G55 uh, pro class, uh, drivers like Blake Angliss and James Taylor, who. Uh, have their interesting battles of their own at, at Brands Hatch, and I think that that sort of s- split at the moment fifty fifty. I think that would continue for for this year, but moving forward, you you would expect that eventually the the G fifty six will take over, as we saw with the G fifty five compared to the old uh, G fifty that used to be part of the championship for a, a decade or so ago. We'll move on to to David with another new uh, new car for this year, which is the the the, the new Porsche Cup car in the Carrera Cup uh, GB. Uh, now, a few years back, the Carrera Cup races were the ones that you would sort of go and make a cup of tea or, or go and grab a burger or whatever if you're at the track. Some very good drivers, great sounding cars again, the fastest cars on the package, but the racing could sometimes be a bit 
not the best. But the last two or three years, really since Harry King started shaking things up, it's been actually, I think, one of the things to, to, to tune into. Uh, the races at Brands Hatch were spectacular. And at the moment, we have the top five in the championship covered by four points, which is which is ridiculous. So what have you made of the, the new batch of drivers coming in and uh, the car? Well, to take the driver point, first of all, Kevin, you're right. I mean, when Carrera Cup started, um, and, and to a degree, Porsche Super Cup had been a bit this way as well internationally, it was what you might call the good old boys um, that you you got used to seeing in other categories. Um, I tread carefully here, given my learned colleague, Mr. Harvey, is the winningest driver in Carrera Cup's 20-year history, just from Dan Camish. But, you know, people like him or Michael Caine, they'd been around a bit before they went into Porsche racing. Whereas now, the emphasis has changed. The career racing drivers coming into Porsches are the young guns. We've touched on it in a, a BTCC context. Here are drivers that, in some ways, at a very early age, have decided they're not going to go and spend a fortune on single-seater racing, not getting to Formula One. There's a career to be made in a GT car, whether it's with Porsche, whether it's with other manufacturers, whether it's with individual teams. But they have realised that, that getting into GT racing early is a good thing. And therefore, we've been blessed for the last three or four seasons with the likes of Harry King, Lorcan Hannafin, uh, Will Martin, uh, Kean Jewis now, uh, Matty Graham's another one. And, and the quality of racing has been very good because you've got these young guns all eager to succeed and to prove themselves in big, powerful cars that they have precious little experience of. And the new car, 510 horsepower, it's a big beast, but it has been very, very well received. And quite often, if you think back over the the previous 20 years of the championship, where Carrera Cup struggled was the transition year. Here's a new car, because they didn't have both running simultaneously. This is a new car now, and grids would dip as people had to find the money to buy it. Well, no problem at the moment, in spite of everything that we've gone through and are going through in terms of the economy and, and, and outside factors. It's a full grid. Um, with the championship now having settled on a pro, a pro-am, and an am format. Good battles across all the classes. The cars look and sound stunning. And the quality of racing is perhaps, you know, these last three, four seasons, better than it's ever been. I'd uh, echo all, the, all those sentiments and certainly the number of young drivers in GT racing generally. I mean, I think there are probably more professional racing drivers in GT racing these days than in any other branch of the sport, if you include all the various GT3 categories around the world. Yeah, so it makes yeah. an awful lot of sense for these drivers. To, and just, just looking at those top five, so we've got we've got Dewis in the lead of the championship. Uh, obviously, he's got uh, British F4 champion, single-seater background. Theo Edgerton, who's come through the, the, the Porsche Challenge from last year, which was, yeah, that's that's Porsche. Porsche's little route in, which is nice. Adam Smalley that's done Ginetta's. Will Martin, who's in his third third year now, I think, of Carrera Cup. Uh, and Matthew Graham has got, well, he's done a little bit of everything, actually. He's done yeah. single-seaters, GTs and Carrera Cup. So it's a nice mix. So, Stephen, who's your... Oh, go on, David. Do you want to well, add something? Uh, uh, only to say, go a bit further down your championship table and you get to Seb Morris, British GT champion, and he got as far as GP3. You know, he's still a, a relatively young gun. But again, he's an experienced driver. And somebody else that, as he gets familiar with the car, I suspect will be up in that mix as well but it, it, it illustrates the type of driver that Carrera Cup's now appealing to yeah absolutely that is uh, that is also you've reminded me of why of course Tim Harvey's worked so hard to get Dan Kamish back into touring cars and helped him out so much because he wants to hold on to that uh, to that wins record I'm not put two and two together so you get the insights here but uh, <laughs> but uh, Stephen so I mean Dewis was the star Dewis was the star at Brands Hatch wasn't he in the damp conditions a second and a first he's got the lead of the championship uh, he showed flashes of you know uh, of potential last year we, we know that he's got some raw ability there is, is he the favourite or is it just too close too early to to really tell at this stage 
I, I think he is the favourite, but only very ju- only very slightly because I think the, the way he, he bounced back, he had a difficult first race at, at Donington Park where he, he had a, a couple of clashes, one with Gus Burton for the lead and, and another one when he was trying to sort of fight back through the pack. So he didn't score in that first race and he was back on the, on the grid in the in the second race. But he, he, he stormed from 14th to 6th on the first lap at, at Donington and that is a... That's just an incredible achievement, really. And he was similarly brilliant off the line in at Brands Hatch as well. He didn't have the best qualifying session and was instantly challenging at the front. And I think his he's he's had the experience of of coming into the championship last year, uh, watching the likes of, of Dan Kamish, Harry King, Lawton Hannafin, and he he's going to be tough to beat this year. But by no means is he going to have it all his own way because we've seen how close and competitive it is. I mean, the perfect demonstration of that was the fact that the, the fastest lap point had to be sh- shared at Donington Park because it was set to the, by the same time to the thousandth of a second. I mean, how often does that happen? It, it, it's crazy how competitive the, the championship is this year. And, and as David said, to, to get 25 cars on the grid, these aren't cheap cars to get 25 on the grid uh given everything that's going on at the moment it, it's just incredible and it tells you uh how well perceived the championship is at the moment that drivers are queuing up and teams are queuing up to get involved uh and it's in a, in a really good place at the moment i do like the look of the cars so i'm a bit of a sucker for porsches but i think um, i think they're definitely a, a strong part of the package but now one challenge that didn't look after the first four races like it was going to have much of a championship fight because we'd had th- th- the same winner in three of those four races. Another championship with a new car, British F4. There's a lot of new things about that, Stephen, which we'll obviously you'll have to give us a quick uh, quick run through. But Alex Dunn looked like the, that this was going to be a runaway championship, and then it all fell to pieces a bit in the second and third races at, at Brown Satch. So first of all, just talk us through the the changes um, to a Formula Four, uh, and whether you think that, that that's just a blip for Dunn, or whether we actually will have a, a championship fight on our hands. Well, yeah, the, the changes. It's it's hard to say what has stayed the same, really, other than the fact that it, the the championship is still on the the British Touring Car Championship support package. It's it's got a new promoter in uh, British governing body, Motorsport UK. It's got a new car in the Tatus, a new engine in the Abarth, which has been tuned by one of the the sort of continuing elements, which is the NBE Neil Brown Engineering uh, sort of tuning to ensure parity between the different. Uh, engines um it's got new tires with Pirelli tires and all of this is it's to all in intense purpose it's a new championship basically it's a complete resetting of of the championship and it looked like Alex Dunn was going to walk away with it based on the first four races of the season he after those four races he had double the points of any other driver on the grid and that was quite a a sort of a, a marker to lay down and, and showing some dominance but then it all changed very quickly had a slight gear shift problem in the in the second race at, at Brands Hatch and then the third race at Brands Hatch was just a, a messy one he was the latest driver to have trouble getting this new Tatus car off the line um, there's been a, quite a number of instances of, of drivers uh, stalling or having terrible starts um, and that put him back in the pack and then he got 
he's he had a spin and then he had a contact with one of his teammates and it was just a, a messy race all round and suddenly his his lead has been dramatically cut and he, it's, it's not looking all quite so uh, so dominant for him um but it, it's interesting because one of the the new car is significantly faster than the old Miguel that was used and it's far less forgiving than the old car uh, so any sort of slight mistake is has a has a negative impact it, it does cross lap time it costs places so whereas with the Miguel you, you, if you sort of had a, a slight wobble you, you'd perhaps be able to correct it and get away with it you can't in this in this car it is a it's a real sort of impressive piece of kit and and therefore the the sort of talented drivers are are shining through and that's what <laughs> Alex Dunn clearly has has got some talent to to have won those those three races one of the appeals i think i mean i know it's controversial bringing some so much change obviously expense etc cetera, etc cetera, to british f4 but the some of the basic logic behind it which was to bring it into line with the german and italian f4 series which are generally regarded as the strongest yeah. championships at that level does that open the possibility obviously we're all formula ford festival fans right that's what that's that's the level that this is equivalent to do you think uh, do you fancy seeing maybe a bit of a end of season jamboree where we get the best runners in the various categories to together i'd love to see it and do you know what the obvious place to do it these days i think would be macau um assuming that macau ever opens up again to the extent that that we can have a proper international race without quarantine restrictions because these cars now look like a formula three car pretty much um they're not that much slower and to i know we're going off on a tangent away from the toker package by saying all of this but to have for example british versus german versus italian f4 as a shootout in Macau is what it used to be when you'd have the British and you'd have the German and the Italian and the Japanese Formula 3 championships all getting together. Whereas um, before the pandemic hit, effectively, it was a non-championship race for the people that had driven them all year in the in the European Championship, which wasn't really, I don't think, what Barry Bland's hard work over all those years was, was all about. So, yeah, I would love to see a proper F4 shootout. My only sadness in this... No, actually, there are two elements of sadness. One is that with, as, as Stephen says, the Abarth engine... It completely breaks now that link to Ford, doesn't it? So we we could just about tenuously cling on to F4 in years past being a a link to Formula Ford that was on the Toker package before that. Now we can't. Uh, the, The other slightly sad thing for me is that we don't have a full grid and we don't have a full grid either away from the Toker package in GB3 and we don't in GB4, which I know is new, but it therefore, I think, makes one start to, to, to question the demand for single-seater racing. I'm sure championship promoters will tell me it's very expensive. But you look at the GT categories, and they're doing really well on numbers, and the single-seater categories aren't doing quite so well. And should we now be concerned that it looks as though, looks as though drivers are thinking very early in their careers against racing single-seaters and concentrating on going the GT route? Um we're introduced, you know, we've got three single seater categories there in the UK, none of which have full grids and none of which are exclusively um, filled by British drivers anyway. So you could argue the demand for British drivers to go into single seater racing is actually not that high anymore. And that's another sadness to me. One of the reasons why Motorsport UK decided to take over the, the promotion, the championship, is they wanted to really put the spotlight back onto single seaters here in the UK. And you'd have to say, I know we we can't judge the success of that after two race weekends, but it, the early signs are that the grid numbers are basically what they were 
beforehand with a, yeah. a sort of aging Miguel car that wasn't perceived as being as good as the Tatus used in Italy and Germany. So it, it's not suddenly transformed the category's fortunes. And as we've seen with other new championships like the Crow Cup that introduced the car, there is drivers out there that are prepared to, to spend money, perhaps not as much money, but still significant sums. So it, it is an interesting time and quite what the what the answer is to that is is a tricky one when you can see that how mm. how much how the, the the way the world is going the focus on gt racing now but having said that so many drivers who have progressed to the top levels have said how important a, a sort of a, at least a, a year or two in single seaters is to their their career to have that sort of fundamental understanding mm. it brings so many benefits even if it's not you're not on the, the sort of path to f1 yeah, I think if you were a driver manager, you'd always want your driver to get as far up the single-seater ladder as possible because it, it does just make you a, a better driver. But I think that the, the problem the problem comes, doesn't it, from the, from the cost point of view, and that's from the top. Yeah. So F1 is currently sorting out its financial arrangements so that it's now possible to be an, an F1 team without being on the verge of bankruptcy all the time. You'd like to think that they could sort out the structure from there because an F2 budget is too much, an F3 budget yeah, is too much. Indeed. It really all needs to... It all needs to be brought down. My understanding from Jonathan Palmer is that his reasoning for GB4 is to give a championship for people who can't afford British F4. Well, that's the first rung on the ladder. The first rung on the ladder should be affordable, of course. So uh, while on one hand I commend Jonathan for his overall goals, and I think when he ran FIF2, that was a much more affordable way of doing it, but it was out of step with the rest of of single-seater racing, so it didn't really quite work. So ideally you'd have... GB4 and F4 would be the one in the same. Yeah, we've seen the success of uh, when Formula Renault, uh, Formula Renault Euro Cup and Formula Regional have been brought together, and now they've got one really strong pan-European championship. Um, you, 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 you could still have a place for GB4 before F4 in the sense of going back um, into the dark ages, the Dunlop Autosport star of tomorrow. You know, that was for your rookies, and then you moved to sort of senior Formula Ford, if you like. Um but at the moment, there isn't the demand to do that. And as you say, if the costs can be brought down across the board, then, then we're in with a chance. But I mean, for, one other query I, I often have about F4 is, um, would it do better or worse if it was away from the Toka package? Um, because the whole, the rest of the package is, is centred around touring cars or, or GT-related cars, the Ginettas and the Porsches. It's a quirky fit. Now, I like it because I like single-seater racing, and so I, I do watch the races, and, and I like that variety. Uh, but I wonder um, whether if drivers were performing at the same event as a GB3 team manager was likely to watch them, it might do better. Uh, or would it do worse? Because if, if you're a, away from a Toka trackside crowd and a live television audience, is it a harder sell to a sponsor to get the money? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because I think that that was one of the things that was looked at when Motorsport UK took over, and I think the, the overrounding, the sort of overriding feeling was what you were saying, David, in terms of the exposure that that is given by being on mm. the on the Toka package. Um, but at the same time, that means they are racing at circuits like Knock Hill, like Alton Park, that just don't bear any re- yeah. resemblance to where they're going to be yeah. racing in the future if they're going to climb the single seater to the ladder and we can talk about how brilliant those circuits are and they are they do teach 
excellent sort of car control and all, all that sort of thing, but they're not representative of what the drivers are going to encounter as they progress up the ladder. And therefore, it's understandable that so many drivers go to racing in Europe at, at a younger age. So it, it, it is a really tricky one. And I think what the, the organisers want to do moving forward is have a, have the odd sort of potential perhaps a race at spa or something like that which would be a good Mm. addition to the to the calendar just to make sure that there is that that sort of relevancy to the next step it's all very well and good having the the sort of same tires with pirelli and similar sort of style cars but if you if you're racing on a different circuit it's still not the the same preparation as if if you're racing at tracks like Spa True. week in, week out. So it, it is a tricky yeah. one. Ideally, you'd have a round at the Grand Prix, British Grand Prix, wouldn't you? And you'd be able to invite the Germans and the Italians over because you'd need a big grid to, to fill the circuit. And I know there have been discussions about it. And obviously, there's the cost of having a slot for a race or two, plus qualifying, plus practice on a, uh, a Formula One bill. But I think Motorsport UK is is looking at that. But I think partly they've got to build the grid to, 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 to sort of sell it to, to FOM. But equally, if having that race would build the grid. So it's a bit chicken and egg. But um, if, if the, the discussions move in the right way, then that will be excellent. And I wish them well with it. It's one of those situations where it's all the wait and see, isn't it? Let's uh, let's see how it all develops. And I think you've also touched upon there something that F1 should look at. It's doing lots of things with its weekend formats and Liberty are trying all sorts of different things. Some are working, some not so much. And mixing up the programme at a Grand Prix and getting some local stuff and different stuff mm. would be uh, would definitely be a, a bonus. Uh, we're getting quite off piece there, um, <laughs> Sorry. but uh, I think that's uh, no, no, no. I think that's good. That's a nice, uh, nice aside. But um, one, uh, we'll get on to the the, the final championship. That was at that was at brands at the weekend um and that doesn't have any problems filling grids it seems uh which is the mini challenge now i, I must admit i was a bit skeptical when it replaced the Renault clio cup because i you know i've known mini challenge for many years as a club series which got some strength but wasn't sure that it would always work on the toker package but i'm you know happy to say that i was wrong i think it's been a fantastic addition they've taken that slot very nicely indeed um and someone who's got a very strange career path uh one one two of the race um at the weekend now jack mitchell's got some gt background Stephen, and uh, he's a late a late call up to the to the minis this year but he looks like he's getting on top of it quite quickly so what what, what do we make of jack as the an addition to the grid yes it was all very very last minute he, he had a, a deal put together by uh pete osborne of motorbase um and jack has become part of the sort of motorbase young driver program now considering he he's up against some quick drivers that have got a lot more experience in those cars than he has to to come right in and be on the pace straight away is is a great achievement and it has been impressive to see um just how quickly he's he's taken to it but then we should we shouldn't be surprised in some ways because he he is a a former gt4 champion he's uh, always been sort of up at the front uh, in, in sort of whatever categories he's racing in, and uh, I think he's going to be a, a strong contender for for the title this year. And but there's equally there's a, a lot of other strong contenders on the on the grid. Uh, Sam Weller, uh, who never quite got it all together last year, um, he, he's now in in his second year in the series, and he's he's looking like a, a real potential star. And then there's also established sort of front runners like Dan Zelos and, and Matt Coates, who you'd always expect to be there or thereabouts. So it's it's going to be a really interesting season to see how it sort of ebbs and flows over the course of the year. And, and David, is it I mean, from my point of view, it seems 
quite important to have effectively a baby touring car category as part of the package. That seems to be a very logical thing to have. I quite like the mix. We've got GT single seaters yep. and and sort of the baby tin tops. Do you think the Do you think that the mini uh, challenge fills that slot nicely? And is there anything that we need to see from it to kind of bump it up one level? No, I think it works really well. I mean, the the, the main observation I've had. Um, Stephen listened to my my rant about this in in media centres over the last season or so is that it, it's it's rightly or wrongly become a, another young driver category, and what you don't have in it are um, the likes of, for example, a Dave Loudon or a Paul Taft or a Graham Churchill of, of seasons past of one mate racing who would, if you like, do the rounds. You know, they 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 do different manufacturer championships and be successful in all of them. Here you've got people that have done karting and Ginetta Juniors. And then they're into minis or maybe a bit of Scottish mini racing. They're not that experienced. And I think that was a contributing factor to some of the driving standards issues that we had a couple of seasons ago. I can remember Paul O'Neill on ITV getting quite steamed up at Knock Hill about the fact that they should have had two green flag laps. Well, maybe they should. But also, I think part of the problem was that they were inexperienced drivers. Um, you know, you're now looking at people like Max Coates or Dan Zelos as the old stages of, of, of mini challenge racing. And they're, they're, they're not exactly old guys. Um, so on the one hand, they, they don't have uh, experienced drivers to gauge themselves against. But equally, you are seeing another wave of good, fast, young drivers coming out of this championship straight away looking to go into touring car racing, which has got a wave of young, competitive, strong drivers in it already. Um, in that respect, you would say that, that British national racing's future is looking very good because here are a lot of very quick, very talented young guys all out there. It, it feels it feels like there's a, now a, a gap between what you'd call national and club motorsport. Uh, which I think that touches on, and perhaps it's because of what we discussed about single-seater racing, mm. expense, career drivers, and where Toka sits. You know, Toka is is you know the, the joke from Alan Gowers. You know, the only yeah the only show in town sort of thing. But he's he's sort of right, really, with how much more people go to yeah, and absolutely. watch British touring car meetings. So it's become a sort of a the, the top end professional bubble, and I don't think it's completely inaccessible for, for club races to get into that because we have seen some drivers come through uh, club racing into the national level but it's uh, those old ex- older experienced drivers who perhaps haven't got the career aspirations are just looking to do to do other things aren't there and they're now yeah. Stephen yeah. can tell me the exact number but is it 230 series or championships in the country now <laughs> what are we up to now Stephen a, a lot I, I, I've sort of lost count at the moment but there is a, is a lot of <laughs> championships out there and but mm. but you're right when you look back to the even more recently with with the clear cup you always had Paul Rivette, who was in the series year after year, and it was a great yeah. sort of yeah. yardstick for the drivers to come in because you mm. you knew Rivette was going to be there or thereabouts every year, and if you were capable of beating him, you knew right this this driver's got something about them. If you if they couldn't beat Rivette, then you knew yeah perhaps they they're not yet ready to make that sort of progression. Uh, mm. But there's not really that that driver in in the mini challenge as, as David said, so it does make it tricky but having said that to have 30 odd cars on the grid is is quite a, it's quite a, a sight and it is <laughs> impressive nonetheless yeah. definitely i think with that's our whistle stop 
tour through uh, through the Toka package in the British Touring Car Championship. Hopefully, we've whetted your appetite to go along uh, and watch an event, uh, the one that's close to you, or tune in to the ITV coverage, uh, which which I have to say is is very good. Uh, if I could get away with it with my family more, I would leave it on the whole day on a Sunday. Uh, but I, I use up my motorsport, uh, some of my mo- motorsport buffer with the family during the rest of the week. So I have to be selective about what I what I tune into sometimes. But um, so that, <laughs> but uh, that just leaves me to say thank you very much to David Addison. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. I uh, hope we thank can you. invite you back again soon. Thank, thank you very much to Stephen. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And thank you to Stephen Licorice for filling us in on the multiple storylines that will, are happening and will continue to happen throughout 2022. Uh, and thank you finally to uh, you, uh, our listeners. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back soon for another Autosport podcast. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Attention shoppers, we now have taste in the bread aisle. Dave's Killer Bread. That's right, an organic bread that's no longer a sedative for your taste buds. Dave's Killer Bread is on a mission to make the most of the loaf, to rid the world of GMOs, high fructose corn syrup, and artificial ingredients, and plant the seeds of good in all that they bake. Killer taste, killer texture, and always organic. Dave's Killer Bread. Bread amplified. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.